it was it was possible to sell without a whole lot of knowledge, um, especially if you're in a space where they knew what the product needed to do. Hello, everyone. This is Ellen, the producer of The Black Line Between Sales and Marketing with Doug Davidoff, CEO of Imagine Business Development and Mike Donnelly, CEO of Seven Cents. Let's get started. Okay, and welcome everybody to this edition of the Black Line Podcast. Today we are very excited. Joining Mike and myself um, is Pete Caputa, the one, the only Pete Caputa. Um, Pete, I said to you before we got on, I've been, I've been looking forward to having you on the podcast since uh, we first conceived of the podcast. So uh, very excited for you to join the conversation and, and for uh, our listeners to hear what you're saying. Um, why don't you just tell the, the few people in the world who don't know who you are, um, who you are and, and what brings you here today. Well, whenever I'm feeling down, I just need to have a conversation with you, Doug. Thanks for the, thanks for the, uh, kudos. Yeah, that's what people say um, about me is I, I always lift up their it. spirits. Oh, it's not just me then. I feel a lot less special. Never mind. Um, <laughs> uh, no, it's exciting to be here. I listened to a bunch of your, bunch of your podcasts. So I like, I like the banter. Uh, so I'm looking forward to it. And as, as both you and, uh, and Mike, and I have uh, had plenty of conversations in the past, which are always fun. So looking forward to it. So what was the question, though? You want me to give a little background? Yeah, who are you? Got it. Uh, so uh, born and raised near Philadelphia. So somewhat excited to see Eagles. The Eagles win last week, uh, although I live in New England. So uh, it was a little bittersweet from a Patriots perspective. Um, went to uh, engineering school, got caught up in the uh, dot-com bubble, started a company um, right around then, uh, did that until about, uh, 2007 when I, uh, joined HubSpot really early on 15th employee as a sales rep, uh, and the, uh, ended up starting the agency partner program there in 2009, uh, scaled that up past a hundred million in revenue. Uh, it's still a huge portion of, of HubSpot's revenue and they're still trucking along, uh, growing alongside with their partners. So proud of that. Had a big impact there with a lot of people. And then um, I left in 2017, looking for my next entrepreneurial venture, joined a company called Databox. We are helping people uh, make sense of their data, uh, be able to track how their business is performing. The app, what the app does is it pulls in data from a bunch of different tools, uh, Google Analytics, HubSpot, uh, Facebook ads, AdWords, Seventh Sense, uh, which we are happy users of as well, and uh, allows them to monitor that data on any device, TV, desktop, um, in the browser, on the mobile device, Slack, et cetera, so that they always have their data available to them. Then they can set goals, set alerts, so that they can have uh, keep track of what's what's most important, make sure that their team is, is getting to where they want to go, where they want to take the business. Uh, so that is what I am up to now. I've been working on that for 13 months now. Uh, when I joined, there was a handful of customers, but we're now up to 450 customers. Wow. Uh, so we've been growing growing pretty right. rapidly. Uh, thank you. It's been fun. Uh, I feel like we're still just getting started. So a lot of, lot of, uh, lot of growth to go. Uh, a lot of stuff we're developing that will help our existing customers as well, which I'm really excited about. So, uh, so that's me. That's what I'm working on. 
So what I always love talking to product companies, 400 customers and we got a way to go. And, you know, I think to myself, I don't even know if we'd be able to survive at, at, uh, on the services side with 400 customers, but I'd like to have the problem. Right. I'd like to find out. Well, keep in mind that they only pay us an average $130 a month. So that, that, um, that's the other thought to... I have after that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So real quickly, before we go on, let, let, let's hit to what I actually believe is your first love. Um, what what is the uh, what is the position in the adult soccer league that you play in? Because I believe if you um, could have been a professional football player in the European sense of football, I football. believe that would have been probably your choice. Yeah, yeah, I would have settled for uh, starting lineup of a D three team. So I played I played D three soccer uh, in college, Division three here in the US, and uh, and so yeah, I love soccer. I coach soccer now. I think I'm 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 41 now. I keep injuring myself trying to play in a competitive men's league um, of which I'm still on a team that's the uh, over the hill soccer league. Although it sounds funny. Uh, it's the most competitive adult soccer league in the U S there's like 200 and some teams and we're in division one. Wow. Um, so I love it. Uh, but um, I think uh, my passion will shift to coaching over the, over, over the next 10 years, at least I've been coaching my son's team uh, and having fun with that. So. Cool. But yeah, if I could do that, if I could garden or slash landscape and play soccer, um, that's what I would be doing right now. Although very I, cool, know, I didn't know you were a big soccer player. You, Pete. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'm big. I'm only five foot eight. But, well, yeah, well, I'm big into it. Should uh, rephrase that. <laughs> yeah, the the problem with adult with adult leagues of any sport, but I think especially soccer, is you get out on, get out on the field and you forget that you're thirty five yeah. or forty or forty five years old, and you. Right. Remembered how easy it was when you were eighteen to twenty-five, and yeah, and twenty-five less pounds around the gut. Yeah, it uh, Really hurts. Really hurts. Yeah, yeah. All right, Pete. Well, you are you are a. Um, it, it, it's easy to prepare to talk to you because you you share. I think most of your. I think you share probably about half of what you're thinking on Twitter. I think there's the other half. <laughs> um, yeah, this is the private. I have private thoughts, but yeah. <laughs> so so you recently tweeted um along the lines of today marketing is the new sales sales needs to be the new customer success um and you had a couple of other um pieces to that but you know especially having yeah. come from leading such a, a predominant sales organization and sales focused organization you're really taking a I've seen a very different viewpoint that you're putting out there about what sales needs to needs to do to be successful in the future. Why don't we start off with that big question? Um, how is how is it changing? How has it changed? What's your viewpoint of sales having yeah. been at the forefront for the last ten years? Sure. So I think um, so in software, I think it's a little different, but I also think it's a sign that like what's happening in software now is a sign to come for other industries down the line. I don't, I don't think it's always going to be unique to software, but in software, it's, I'd say the, there's so much competition uh, that, that price and ease of doing business with is a key factor in getting, getting traction. And so I think software companies need to either, if they're launching, they should launch a freemium model. And if they don't have a freemium model and they want to shore themselves up against competition in the future, they need to think about launching a freemium model. So I think a freemium model 
where where basically you get a certain level of the product or certain features of the product for free, and it act, you actually get value out of it on an ongoing basis. Um, so if we define freemium that way, it just changes the whole dynamic of what selling is. It's uh, it's no longer about getting somebody to get on a phone with you, get a demo, trial the product, make a make a decision in 30 days. It's much more about marketing someone to someone's needs or problems, uh, funneling them through some offer that's in the product, basically. The value of the product is the offer. Uh, and, and getting them to a point where they have an aha moment, where they say, oh, this can save me time, this can make me more money, this can solve this problem. And so all of that happens without any one-to-one -one contact. And so that's what, that's what we've built at Databox. Uh, and there's, like, there's lots of companies out there now that have, that have proven that out. Uh, there's actually, um, I think Alignable did a research study of their SMB um, users. It's like Alignable is like a, a social network for SMB owners, small business, small mid-market business owners. Uh, and they did a survey. And like, if you look at that chart of the most popular tools, for the most part, not all of them, but for the most part across like 10 or 15 categories, the freest one is the one that has the highest NPS rating. So like MailChimp was highest in email marketing. HubSpot CRM was highest in, in CRM. Um, trying to think of the other ones. But, but I think it's just, if you don't have a freemium model, if you're not trying to figure out how, to, how does marketing and product build a funnel without salespeople, then you're just not, you just have a competitive disadvantage now in software at least. So Pete, I, I totally agree with that. And you know, not to talk about seven cents, but we don't have a freemium model and we've, it's something that we've thought a tremendous amount about. But one of the questions that I have when it comes to, you know, how do you get that initial lift? How without salespeople or even, you know, as an entrepreneur myself, as you being an entrepreneur, Doug, et cetera, um, you've, you've got to, you've got to start somewhere in pushing the market. And yep. some of that can be done certainly by marketing, but in a lot of instances, some people are like, Hey, I don't even know I have this problem because they've just right. been used to living with it. Uh, same thing yep. holds probably true with data box of, Hey, yeah. I don't know. I have a reporting problem until somebody tells me I, I'm not searching like, Hey, how do I solve yep. this reporting problem? So there's yep. gotta be that kind of initial push. So what's your thoughts around that? Because that does require at least, somebody to wear a sales hat within an organization. Totally. So, so I joined, the company had raised uh, $3.8 million. Um, they had a failed go-to market attempt and they basically pulled back. But the only people that were left were the product team and one customer support guy and you know, had double, low, very low double digit customers, like 15 or something like that. Um, and so say I, I, I basically jumped in and I was the sales guy. And so my first thing was, I'm going to call the people I know. I'm going to call people like them. Uh, and I'm going to try to get them to try the product. Uh, and through lots of that effort and gradually getting feedback from people as they would spend a little more time in the product, uh, I was actually able to fine tune um, the value prop. We were able to tweak the product, add capabilities to the product, uh, de-emphasize or emphasize some features of the product um, and that feedback loop was critical so I, 
I'm not saying that you can like build a product and never talk to anyone and expect it to work out. Although, you know, the, the data is pretty, there is a lot of data available to, in, in, in terms of tracking software users. But, um, but I, I do think there's that important, that important iteration process that has to go through. You have to go through. Um, but even before we had customers, I prioritized like growing our traffic. Um, we had like maybe I think 10, eight to 10,000 sessions a month. You know, now we're, we're right around 40,000 sessions a month. And so just growing that traffic, growing our signups uh, was a big focus. Um, even while I was figuring things out, even before I knew exactly what the value prop would be or what the features, the most important features would be. Um, so I think it's a, it's a matter of, of doing that in parallel. And there's still a bunch of other things that I want to do on the marketing side to really accelerate growth. Uh, that I just don't have uh, product team bandwidth to do, uh, but so we're 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 hustling on the marketing side at this point. Yeah, you just and, and me certainly you guys have done an awesome job on the marketing side. I mean, it's it has been amazing to see the not only the the content that you're pushing out, but also the approach. And I think and I've and you and I have talked about this privately. I think your approach to the way that you're handling marketing is is quite brilliant and also incredibly differentiated than the way most most companies are going to market with their uh with their marketing strategy thank you but now that you've given me that compliment i have to explain what it is and i'm comfortable talking about it so what do you what part do you think is brilliant <laughs> thank you so the the part that i think is that has been brilliant on your part is you're not just publishing blog posts about what you think people think are important what you've actually mm -hmm. have done is you've started to reach out to the community and have them contribute Yep. what's been successful and what has not been successful for them. And I think a yes. lot of people take a, an inner, an innered approach to marketing where it's, hey, I'm just going to write what I think is important yes. to people versus yep. when you do that, even cold outreach to people that are members of the community, one, you're bringing them into the fold, making them a, you know, aware of your, of your product, yep. but also giving them a voice to contribute. And I think that's where, the strategy has been brilliant. Hopefully I didn't give away Thanks. too much information there. No, no, no. I, I'm open about it. It's, I don't, it's like, if you watch what we're doing, you can see what we're doing. It's not that, it's not that complex. Um, the, I'm, I'm a big believer in like creating content with your audience, not for your audience. Uh, I think what happens in a lot of marketing organizations um, that do a lot of content marketing, they, they rely on what they read in order to, and what they do in their job in order to inform what they write about, uh, as opposed to relying on what your customers do um, in their jobs. And I think that's the important input is like, what are our customers, what are our partners doing uh, that's interesting and would be interesting to uh, future customers. Uh, and so that's what we, we strive to do. And there's a variety of ways that we're collecting input like uh, uh, we have a lot of guest posters doug has guest posted um we have a lot of uh we do a lot of roundup posts where we ask people to to answer one specific question and then we compile um you know answers from 50 people into into a post that all answer that one question they come up with 50 unique ways of solving a problem uh, and so we've done that and we we're doing that at scale at this point and and that is that is working really well to not only catch the attention of people we want by reaching out to them but also getting them to then share the content and there's a nice little flywheel effect there. 
Yeah, that's awesome. I love your comment. Create content with your audience versus creating content for your audience. That's a, that's yeah. that about sums it up uh, perfectly. I do think we we do a, a mix, right? There's a lot of stuff that we want to teach our our users, and a lot of our marketing, actually, I'd say half of our marketing is focused on educating our users. Um, and so we are doing a lot of that kind of content, um, but but it wouldn't it would fall flat if we didn't build the audience by kind of pulling in what our 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 prospects and our customers know and, and publishing that as well. So right. Pete, you took away one of my. Um, I was looking forward to one area of debate with you, and you 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 kind of brought oh. it up initially, but I think you took it away actually because I had an aha moment. Sorry. Um, I know I'm very <laughs> disappointed. Explain. I'm very disappointed. Explain. I know. Well, I know so, you've been looking for a fight here. You've been, oh, you've been looking. To, you want? I know you want to throw down. I do verbally. You, we we <laughs> we 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 talked about you you you've obviously been pushing freemium, um, and and you know HubSpot's been pushing freemium. HubSpot's gone out and said, you know, as far as you know, agencies should give services away for free so that they can. And, and, yeah. and I've always had, I've always had issues with that because, you know, the, the fundamental nature of a software product is, you know, it costs everything to, to be able to make the product for the first user and the second user is basically free. So the ability to, <laughs> you, the ability to give a freemium offer, there's, there's very, very little incremental cost to, to making a freemium product. Okay. Whereas on the yeah. services side, there's a huge incremental cost to that. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. so one of the things I was going to bring up to you is, you know, let, let's talk about the world outside of software and this whole idea of, of give it away for free. But in your conversation in, in answering Mike's question, it, it actually hit me for a moment where the top of the funnel, if, if we can go back to your HubSpot content marketing days, the, uh, mm -hmm. the top of the funnel is the freemium product for service companies, manufacturing companies, whatever the case may be. The idea being yep. teach something of value. You know, I, I, I've always yep. said, stop worrying about if people are going to steal your stuff. Um, I, I, I see yep. you know, people can, can, they can steal the fixtures. They can't steal the plumbing. But I think part of the right. problem that's happened with, with content is th th this whole idea that, you know, we've turned, we've turned the legitimate sharing of insight into a manipulative, Hey, if I blog about crap, you know, 22 times a month, I'll get more leads as opposed to, right. am I going to teach something? Am I going to, am I going to give something away of value that, that, yeah. that makes someone better without it? Um, does, does that fit for you? Like, is that, am I, am I, am I reading that correctly? If, if service, if non-software companies looked at giving away knowledge for free as in essence, that, that freemium product, that, that engagement, that, that's kind of what you're doing with the freemium product, with the actual freemium pro product of Databox. Did I get it or am I off? Yeah, yeah. Like the nice thing about content is you can create it once and, and you know, with carrying feeding every once in a while, it's, it, it can produce a lot for you. Like when I look at some of the articles we wrote right when I joined, they're still bringing in hundreds of, of visitors and, you know, double digits of signups every month. And so, I expect that with very modest effort, we'll be able to continue with that stream of, of signups. And so I think it's the same thing for a services business. If you're creating content that's valuable to people um, and, you know, has a shelf life and you, you put effort into creating quality over quantity or quality first, quantity second, then, 
then uh then yeah it's the same thing there's um i also think there's an opportunity to introduce lower priced services in a services business i forget the name of the concept but digital marketer has like a methodology that they teach um where they teach services businesses to create like a a low priced service as an entry point uh so it could be like it could be like we'll do an assessment for you for a small fee or we'll do an audit for you or a small fee or you can attend a workshops for for a small fee you know where you'll walk out of there with a plan for whatever uh you need to do in the next year um or there's like a, a low cost service you know we can we can reskin your blog or um you know, we, we can set up dashboards for you in the case of a data box. We have a few agencies that do that. So I think there are lower lower commitment, lower price things that the services business can do to initiate that dialogue, get a little bit of money, sort the people that are trying to do it themselves from the people who actually want some help. I get to be uh, and, the wise pre qualify. I get to be the wise sage of this group with you two youngsters. Um, back <laughs> in the day ahead. back in the day we called those wedge offerings. Wedge offers. Yeah, that's a good, yeah, I've heard that term. Digital marketer has a really good term for it. I can't remember what it was. But it's probably something I'll better than wedge offer. It is. Yeah, it <laughs> is. But wedge offer says it. We can go with wedge offer here oh. to four after yeah, on this call. So you, you guys started getting into, in, into another point where, where, where I, I would imagine you're seeing a little bit of a different world. Um, and it's something that I think is overlooked by far too many companies. When, when you were at at HubSpot, it was very much about client acquisition, client acquisition, or customer acquisition, yeah. you know, at, at least from your perspective. Clearly, one of the things that I know you, 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 you talked about, um, John, your head of marketing talked about it as well, was realizing the importance of, of marketing to customers and looking at the customer success part. And, and you talk about sales being the new customer success. Um, how is marketing to acquire customers different from marketing to um, an existing customer base to support that success and support that growth? What, what's different about it? Well, I'd say we still have work to do. Um, it's funny because it's all one linear process. No one, no user or customer takes a, the same process. So it is really difficult to delineate between, you know, what a, a free user needs to do or, or learn versus what a paid one is like we obviously do lots of tracking um, in in our product, and so our workflows um, are, are fairly fairly simple now. But we'll get much more complicated as we start to use more of that data. Um, but I think it's much more like it's okay to talk about your product first and foremost. I think with customers, right? They're 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 paying for it, and so the the more instruction and the more information you can give about how to get the most out of the product is is a is very welcome um whereas i think at the top of the funnel if you're too focused on your product then you just turn off people that that uh you know aren't using it yet and haven't decided to use it yet so um so i think that would be the big difference what do you think the difference is i feel like i'm missing out on something that you're trying to get at no i don't i don't know i i, I think that and, and, and as as you talk about as you talk about what you're what you're hitting at there from a product standpoint, there's there's a usage issue. If I don't figure out how to use it correctly and if I don't feel like I'm getting more and more from it until I, I mean, I'm sure at some stage you'll see that 
uh, probably for you when I, when, when a certain number of integrations and a certain number of reports are, are being used with, with some average leverage of use, you probably see, you know, they get into, for lack of a better word, a lock-in status where it's now delivering its value. Um, yep. and, and so it, it becomes a safe thing, but getting to that point in your, you know, it, it, it's a very interesting question. I was actually hoping that you were going to give a lot more insight, frankly, because it, it's something that we're <laughs> trying to figure out for, our, for ourselves <laughs> that, you know, we, 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 we do a lot of teaching out, out front. Um, and one of the things that we noticed is that people will go through, like, especially with our blog, um, they'll go through an intense engagement pattern with the blog. Um, that's obviously where we get a lot of our leads initially and, 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 yeah. and things like that. Then their reading pattern drops considerably um, after they become a customer, which, you know, yeah. they get to hear it firsthand. But there's yeah. still that piece being missed of, of sometimes that greater context and, and some of the why while, while we're, you know, deep in, in, in working with people. So we've been, yeah. you know, trying to figure out where, where does that marketing it, it, it's it's not the same thing for us. We we see that because they're not they're not engaged at the same level. But f finding that pattern, um, and and that how to to continue that teaching is something that we're trying to figure out. And and so I see it's different. Yeah. I, I just don't have any idea, like how different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say we're experts at it. Yeah, like at HubSpot. Um, yeah, there was obviously a lot of hand-holding in the sales process to sell the marketing product. And then uh, and then we would kick it over to a services team, which would spend, you know, four to eight hours uh, with that customer one-on-one. -on -one. And so at Databox, I'm doing something very different, which is, and that, which is like, you know, there's very low touch in the sale, maybe one, one call um, to answer questions and help people see what they should do. And then there's, uh, we do some post-sale stuff, but it's very, um, you know, we have obviously reactive support, so if they have a question, we'll answer it, but, and we'll help them. But um, but we uh, we don't have a whole lot of structure around the post sale stuff. So so I don't know if I have a great answer. And then on the marketing side of that, like we just started nurturing users, uh, but there's still a long way to go to customize that nurturing process so that it's more uh, personalized to the actual customer based on what they are and aren't doing or care or don't care about. So still work in progress. I wouldn't say we have that one now, but it's a known, a known opportunity slash challenge for us. So maybe, maybe well, Pete, I think you guys, first one who figures it out, we come back together and we, we share what the answer is. Yeah. Sounds good. I, I, Pete, I think you've built some pretty interesting infrastructure inside of the app. And I, I noticed it last week where if I simply yeah. just click on a heartbeat item, it tells me mm -hmm. like, Hey, what's new, you know, you, so you guys have built the, the core infrastructure there. And I guess it's just a way of, you know, like you said, iterating on what yep. to put into that. But uh, it's cool yeah. to see that you guys have, have, have built that because you don't see it in a lot of apps. Yeah, I think what you're referring to is we call our insight stream. So whenever anyone sets a goal yeah. or alert, um, they, get, they get notified that, you know, uh, your sessions went above your threshold of 10,000 or congratulations, or it'll say something like you, your, your sessions are lower than your monthly target of 12,000. You're not going to hit your goal, do something about it. Uh, and then we also can feed in advice there based on what data sources they're connecting and how they're using it. So, so we just started doing that. We also do email nurturing um, using HubSpot and 7 cents. And then we have um, in-app nurturing that we do via intercom uh, for stuff. So there's a whole slew of avenues. 
uh, one of my big beefs with all the technology we use is that there's no integrated way to do that. Um, so we end up having like rule engines everywhere that we have to manage, but, but we are doing some of that. It's just, I don't feel like we have it nailed yet, but working on it. It is, it is a very active thing we're working on. Yeah. Can just continue continuous iteration. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What, yep. what do you mean by sales is the new customer success or sales should be the new customer success? Well, in a freemium model, it's, uh, it's important that the salesperson actually just helps people use the product. And so that is the typical role of a customer success person. Um, so we, ha we have two funnels. Uh, half of our paying customers are marketing agencies and half are not. Uh, and then on the, on, the, on the side where we have marketing agencies, I do have a salesperson focused there. He's, uh, he's over time has gotten much more of a product guy. Uh, and so most of his calls are really helping people set up the product uh, and, and then asking a few qualifying closing questions uh, and, and really just figuring out what the timing is and what, what their deployment will look like. And so on that side, I, I do have a little more sales DNA. On the, on the non-agency side, um, I don't. I have, you know, I have, I have cu true customer success people, um, mostly reactive to customer questions. Uh, when we do see someone using the product a lot, that's when we jump in to help them, you know, make sure they have everything they need and, and they're, you know, likely to buy, but we don't, we don't invest a lot of, a lot of time there right now. We will invest more over time, um, helping more of that free funnel. But, uh, so I think it's really, uh, it's really, um, it's a matter of having both the customer success and, and, and sales DNA kind of in one person. Uh, and that's, that's actually hard to find, by the way, because um, they need to be, you know, product, product, product experts, customer success, have the patience of a customer success person, but the, the drive and, and ability to deal with rejection and all that like a salesperson does. So um, they get stuff. Does that have application outside of software? Does that, does that philosophy... I think uh, so. I, I just I found that word the digital marketer use. They call it a tripwire. Um, so that like say, let's just say you sell a hundred thousand dollar services engagement, right? Um, annual services engagement, and so your tripwire tripwire might be priced at a grand or five hundred bucks. And I think in, in that scenario, like it does make sense to have maybe hybrid marketers slash salespeople that are that are much more focused on nurturing. And, and interacting with those that top of the funnel users um, to help them understand the value of that, say, tripwire uh, offer. Um, and so I think there's some applicability there. Um, if, but if you're not giving something away, either for free or a low price, it's kind of hard to make sense. It's kind of hard to do that. So with your with your comment around kind of that hybrid DNA, uh, the, the question that I have or that goes through my mind, and, and Doug, we've talked about this before that, you know, kind of, and you mentioned it, Pete, it's very hard to find that person. I, I don't know if that is something relatively new, because I look at even in enterprise tech sales, you know, my colleagues that were ultra successful, yeah, they, none of us could get behind a keyboard and, you know, completely configure the system, hook it up to uh, Active Directory, run performance right. tests, things like that. But we all had 
the, the most successful guys were not just, hey, let's go out and get steak and play golf and build a great relationship. Totally. Let's figure totally. out what your business problem is. Let's figure out other customer use cases that we may be able to bring to the table. Um, and so it, it really was about delivering or driving success for that individual. Yeah. Um, and so maybe what we're starting to see is some of that is being delivered downstream into, you know, lower cost, um, right. lower cost solutions. Yeah, I think that's right. Like I had a similar experience in my first job out of school was mechanical engineering work. We used to travel to like Ford and Boeing and help them design their processes. And the best sales guys were previously engineers and they could go in and do half the job themselves and then only call in engineers when, when needed. And, and so I, I, I agree. I think product knowledge has always been important, especially in outside type sales or, um, I, although like if we like go back just 10 years when kind of inside sales took off, it was, it was possible to sell without a whole lot of knowledge. Um, especially if you're in a space where they knew what the product needed to do, uh, or they knew what the product did. Um, and I, I think it was possible to very quickly like sort through a bunch of leads, book some calls, do some quick demos, very quick qualification and close. Um, I don't think that's uh, as useful as much in this, in this world where you have a freemium model. Um, it's much more about, you know, there's still some hustle involved, but it's much more about helping them use the product and kind of get into that point where they're like, okay, this product's valuable. I want to really use it. Um, and right. I'm going to commit to it. So it's, uh, I don't think the quick demos are as, as important. It's one piece of it. It's not saying we don't do demos, but, but uh, it's a lot less critical. I think what's really changed too is like the qualification process. Like at HubSpot, when we started selling HubSpot especially, like we would have to spend an hour qualifying people on the business need. Um, and now where they can actually experience the solution for free without talking to anyone, the I wouldn't say that it's fully qualified, but the business needs is kind of understood to a certain degree. And it's just a matter of like figuring out, are they going to make do something about it uh, as opposed to like truly uncovering it and helping the prospect see the problem. At the risk of sounding cynical, which I know is yeah, unusual. Please. I was waiting for this. <laughs> yeah, we knew that was coming, Pete. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But taking you so long. Does that put more, does that put more pressure and more requirement on, on the fact that the product, be legit yeah yeah absolutely yeah i mean if you think about it hubspot as it existed back in the day couldn't would not win in today's market as as you're defining it because the product wasn't that functional the product was extraordinarily difficult to use it wasn't i mean today yeah. today it rocks the early but, but some of yeah. it was yep and, and how many products are, are I mean, how, how many products are there? I think they fall into two camps. There's one camp where how many products are trying to hide the product? Right. Because it couldn't stand yep. up on, yep. on a premium. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, yep. The, the other though, let, 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 let's talk about it. I think that, that thumbs up enter, enterprise software, right? It's like they didn't <laughs> have to put focus on UI, UX experience, time to on, time to set up, time to value. Like they didn't have to worry about that stuff. So they didn't. All they had to do is make sure they had all the features that everybody asked for. Um, and so I think that sums up all enterprise software. And, and you're right, in the early days of HubSpot, it was not easy to set up either, um, but still a little easier than enterprise software. And, but sure. now, like if 
we literally have we had two twenty two hundred signups total. That includes people that sign up through like by downloading our mobile apps. Um, we had twenty two sign up two hundred signups every month. Uh, only sixty percent of those people actually connect DataBox to one of their data sources. And as you both know, that is the literally the first step that you are presented with. It's in the product. And it's also like you can't do anything else unless you do that. Um, so like there's absolutely no reason to to sign up their product. But we still get that 60% or 40% drop. And so I think like it's just like that usability is so important. We're working on it. But I, I also think that there's just a lot of people that just try shit and don't have any intention of of uh of actually setting anything up but but um so, there's so a second important. camp and, and for purposes of, of of making this like a little bit of a live laboratory um so other people can learn from it I, I think seventh sense fa falls into the second category um you know and mike you know i've talked about this part part of the problem with seven cents is seven cents in so many ways is an invisible product um it's not it's yeah, not mm -hmm. really even a product design and and if you go to where you want to be able to be you you told me you'll never actually even be in Settlement. 90% of your users will never actually be in Seventh Sense to be able to use the product because they'll just manage it through your normal workflows. And and so yep. it, it, it's not built for that user, um, it's not built for that user experience um, type approach. So the, the, the learning path comes that other way. How do you, if, if you were to start a company, Pete, that, that you didn't have that product based on what you know, um, I mean, I, I mean by the data box product where, where you could work on usability and get people to just fall in love with it using it. How, how would you take this new model and, and apply it where that, that opportunity for free use wouldn't have, have worked, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't work as well. If that um, yeah. So I actually think there's an opportunity for every product in this way and I, including Mike's like um, as Mike's, probably talked about on, on previous episodes here is like his is an API business. Um, and so really the customer developers and then if developers integrate it perfectly, the user doesn't even need to know it's, it's working or it doesn't even know, need to know how to make it work. It just works for them. And I think like whatever product it is, it's just a matter of delivering that value as quickly as possible with little effort as possible. And Mike's business is kind of seven sets perfect for that. Um, you know, I think a lot of the, the two tools he integrates with, unfortunately don't have the APIs that allow him to make his product completely invisible. Um, but I think if he had, if he had those APIs, he'd do that. He'd prioritize that first, right, Mike, you would, you would make that yep, happen. Absolutely. 100%. And as is now with HubSpot, at least there's only like one little step. So it's not a whole lot of work. Um, and then they get that value very quickly. So actually Mike's, um, the seven cents actually falls into a similar camp as DataBox. It's not, you know, DataBox is all about the visual display of data. So of course our visuals need to be rock solid. We're not gonna, we're not gonna, there, that is just the nature of the product. Um, and Mike, I don't know what you've talked about or don't talk about, but like, I know you're working on stuff that, that could potentially be free or very low cost, uh, which would allow people to experience it without a salesperson and, and very quickly um, get the value right. of it. So. So I think um, I think that pretty much every uh, you know product has that kind of opportunity. Take HubSpot for example. I think for years everybody thought freemium was was a dumb idea inside HubSpot because the product is so broad, it has so many capabilities and features. It's like, what do you make free? What don't you make free? 
what delivers value quickly? And there's just like a lot of questions to ask. And so when they launched the CRM, they said, you know, all right, we need to do this in order to continue our growth rate. And, you know, I think it was two or three earnings that calls ago, Halligan said, you know, our growth rate on the marketing side is, don't quote me, somewhere around, I think it was 40%. Um, and that, and he attributed it directly to uh, the freemium model where many of their customers, I think he said like one third of their new marketing customers start with their free CRM product and then they eventually buy the marketing product. So um, I think there isn't too, too many software businesses where freemium uh, can help. Um, I know there are plenty of people that think that free trial is the way to go, but um, I'd argue that they're just trying to monetize a little too early. And they're sacrificing uh, market share for for earlier monetization. Let Let's go to a topic that I know is both near and dear to both of our hearts, um, and that's the role of technology in growing a business. Um, what 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 What's your take on that role of technology, and why is everyone screwing it up? How's that for a loaded question? So what was the question again? How technology? What is the role business? of technology for a growth business, and why is everyone screwing it up? <laughs> okay, so the role of technology. I don't. Know, I just think that where it's unprecedented times. That there's so much software being built that either eliminates the need for a process or automates something or enables something new. And so, if a company isn't constantly looking at the available technology that's literally like off the shelf, you know, starting price of zero, if they're not constantly looking for that stuff, they're going to be less efficient. You know, less effective than than some of their competitors. Uh, on the flip side, I think there's a massive opportunity for you know, and you're doing this, Doug. At Imagine where you're identifying the technology that can have the biggest impact, and you're and you're building a stack, you know, that's unique to to you, unique to what you roll out to your clients, and that is a huge advantage. Like the the technology and tools that you're able to roll out with with efficiency. Um, you know, that enables efficiency and effectiveness, like that's going to be a massive competitive differentiation for your agency, you know, it already is, I know. So um, what are they screwing up? I think they're screwing up. They're just not dedicating resources to it. Like I know some 50 person marketing agencies who literally have nobody out there looking for new technology that they can roll out to their clients. Uh, and if you're a HubSpot partner and you're not doing that, like, you're missing out on a massive opportunity to upsell and retain your clients a lot better than you would. There's even some freaking inbound marketing agencies out there who brag to their prospects or sell to their prospects that they won't need them in a year. Um, and that's like just, that's like the agencies go in one direction, the technology is going the other. Like the, tech, the company, small businesses absolutely need a marketing technology expert that's going to help them continue to navigate what the opportunity is uh, for using technology to improve it. So I don't know if that's what you're looking for, but that's my rant. How, how does the, <laughs> how does the head of a sales organization analyze what technology they need? How, how do they separate a, a toy from a tool? I don't know. I think it's a matter of, um, of having a scout out there. Uh, you know, Every sales organization, every sales leader knows what, like, has ideas on what their problem areas are and can go look for technology. But I would suggest flipping it a little bit and hire, having somebody that's job is basically to scout out new technology, try it out. It's pretty easy to try out the technology. You don't have to buy a lot of it now. Um, and so, 
I I would hire a technologist first that can scout it out and then come back with with ways that that technology can help improve um, improve results. Like take Seven Sense for example. Like people don't know that they could actually improve their open clicks and deliverability. So like how would a sales leader know to go look for that? But if their email is a big tool for them and you can, you know, say they have a list of a hundred thousand people and you can, and Mike in seven cents can improve opens by just a few percentage point that could mean thousands or millions of dollars of new revenue. But um, you know, if they're not looking at that opportunity or not, if they're looking at the technology, they're going to miss it. It's a great example, Pete. I like it. <laughs> no, thanks, for, thanks for the shout out. You're welcome. Um, hey, just, just, just for paybacks, hold on, Mike, hold on, Mike, just for paybacks, then you can yeah. track it all in Databox, just so everyone knows. <laughs> exactly. We do have an integration. I'm not completely unbiased here. But <laughs> um, so, Pete, we started the off the, the conversation with, you know, kind of the new, new sales is, is um, you know, customer success, et cetera. Um, I'm looking at, one note here. So, so it says some studies say that more than 1 million sales jobs will be eliminated by 2022. Um, do you think salespeople are on the endangered you know, species list? At least salespeople in the way that they exist today. And one of the reasons why I asked that is even HubSpot, before we got on here, I went and I looked at their job section. Mm -hmm. And in their sale, just in sales, they have 56 open positions. Yeah. Wait, HubSpot has HubSpot's hired more salespeople? I haven't noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I think HubSpot's model, it, it still works, obviously, is, and it's very similar to Salesforce. Um, you know, Salesforce did the outside sales thing and then did inside HubSpot's did inside and built their model business model around that and now they're adopting freemium so it's i don't think there's there's such thing as like overnight extinction extinction of any career right um there's still people that are writing COBOL and and responsible for doing facsimiles and stuff right so um so i don't think there's any overnight thing but i think hubspot's in the middle of a of a migration right from a model where they need inside sales to hit their growth rate um, but over time, they'll need less inside salespeople to do the same amount of productivity. And so that's just a, that's going to take them years to get to that point, if ever, right? Uh, and because they have such a base of customers, they can continue to afford to have a expensive sales team. Um, when you look at someone like Mailchimp as an example, they don't have much of a sales team. I, I don't know the exact numbers um, or lead pages, for example. Like they have two or three salespeople, I think. Um, wow. And those companies are doing tens if not hundreds you know hundreds of millions in the case of mailchimp uh mailchimp's actually bigger than the spot with less salespeople. so for mailchimp all they need to do is like add new features and they'll increasingly be competitive to hubspot um and meanwhile they have this amazing you know freemium model that just sucks in users and gets them to upgrade over time so uh, I just, I, I just think uh, it's not going to be a gradual. It's not going to be a, a sudden thing. It'll be a gradual thing. But it, like, take something way outside of software, right? You got Amazon just launched their what is their Amazon Go store, right? They're eliminating cashiers. Like, I think most cashiers fall into the sales service bucket, and someday we won't need them. It's not, and like, I think most of us were looking at the market and say, e-commerce is going to swallow retail. 
but in reality, it's just like technology is going to swallow retail at some point, you know, right. retail jobs at some point. Um, so I think it's it's different for every business. It's different for every industry. But yes, it's too, it's for someone like me or you, right? We all own a business and we're trying to deploy capital as efficiently as possible. Literally fourth on my list is adding salespeople. Um, it's uh, product people first because product people can both help me grow traffic and signups and sales. And then it's marketers who can help with all that as well, or at least the, yeah. And then and then it's customer service people that I know can take the, the thousands of use, new users I get and and help them set up the product, which will increase the chances of them buying. And then it's salespeople who can hunt through, you know, top of the funnel leads to find near bottom of the funnel leads to find the ones they can push over the edge. So, um, so I think it's just it's just a matter of what your business model is when you started it, um, and and how efficiently you want to deploy capital. So I, I loved that last comment around kind of the, where you're looking to grow the company as far as like kind of these four, four pillars. Um, but one of the, and Doug and I talk about this every once in a while on, on different podcasts with different folks. What's your take on the VC world? Because I think in the VC space, like it funded heavily funded companies, these people that are, you know, I get it. Enterprise tech sales, you got a enterprise software sales. It, in a lot of instances, you're selling lipstick on a pig. So you, you, you actually have to have those salespeople that can hide the product efficiencies. Um, but even in some of these instances where fast growing SaaS companies, heavily funded, I mean, the first thing they do is they get 20 million bucks and they're like, oh, we got to hire 50 salespeople. Right. We got to grow. We got to grow three times as fast as where we're going right now. Yep. Yep. We, yeah. Yeah. Like I say, I feel some of those. I feel some of those pressures. Right. I have a board of. Uh, we have institutional uh, a seed stage that that where we raise a good amount of money. Um, uh, you know, I'm burning more money than than we're making right now. Not a significant more, and the path to profitability is there. But I want to grow faster, uh, and so I will raise, uh, you know, money, uh, a Series A, and so uh, I know that I'll have to hire salespeople before we've made our funnel as efficient as possible. But I think it's just a matter of continuing to work on that in parallel uh, where we're, you know, I'm also investing and aligning the product team's goals around usage and adoption and conversion. Um, so we, we recently actually just did that. We switched away from like building new features, which we did most of last year. And now the, 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 the two lead product um, people and, and, you know, some of the developers are and designers are focused in on how do we improve uh, activation, which is people connecting data. How do we improve uh, active usage, daily active usage? How do we, so that more people are, are there? How do we improve um, number of PQLs, product qualified leads, the people that kind of do enough in the product to signal that they're likely to buy? Um, and so so I have product people working on that. And then meanwhile, I'll add a sec, you know, add another salesperson. I'll add some more customer support. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, doing it, doing, doing I think a portfolio of things in order to optimize all that all that as you go. Well, yeah, prior, priorities with salespeople. Right. Priorities, et cetera. But I, I think frankly, I think that is absolutely one hundred percent the right approach. And um so. <laughs> we'll so, see. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Only time will tell. He's yeah. he's raising a series A shortly, um, Mike, so you can that let him know shortly. how how right but at some point we will. Shortly, as opposed to like not in the next ten, shorter than the next ten years, something like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. 
I'm I'm just proud that we that we worked COBOL into the conversation today. Yes. I'm glad, glad we stuck that in. <laughs> Pete, you have been um from 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 the day I met you, you've you've been nothing but authentic. Um you you've been totally open to share um what works. You 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 often share what doesn't, you know, what hasn't worked and, and you know the, this, the content that you wrote at, at HubSpot, um, I thought was always great because it had that aspect. You could, even when I disagree with it, I could tell it was coming from somebody who had done it. Mike talked about yeah. what you're doing at, at, at Databox. You and your team have been extraordinarily generous sharing your, your formula. You know the setup's coming, don't you? Um, if I'm going to yeah. be this nice to you up front, there's, there's got to be that. Here's what I want to know. It. This is one of the things that, the, that, that this podcast prides itself on. Um, what, are, what are the surprises that you've experienced? Um, specifically, you you left HubSpot. You were very confident. You were excited about Databox. I know you had done some advising yeah. to them before. You had a plan of attack, and and some of it worked, and I'm sure some of it didn't work. What's the stuff that didn't work that you thought was going to? And you you what were the oh shit moments you had to to yeah. your plan that didn't work? Like what were the negative surprises first? Yeah, I think um, a few things, I guess. The, the the first thing is like I, I knew I wanted to build a business with marketing agencies, right? That was what I did at HubSpot. Um, and there was a quarter million marketing agencies out there. They all struggle to a certain degree to be profitable. Many of them are very small. I, just, I, I, was, I had a little agency before I joined HubSpot and struggled. And I just have a passion for, for helping agencies. And so when I joined, like the first thing that I asked the the product team was is to like really understand the agency use case um, and and build out some features and uh, you know I think if I look back on that we were successful like only 20% of our signups are marketing agencies yet 50% of our customers uh, paying customers are agencies so clearly we figured something out there but what really surprised me is like I always thought we were like a feature away for agencies um, and so for the first, like, maybe the, not the first few months, but like most of the year last year, we spent like, okay, we need this feature and we need this feature. We need this feature. And every time I'd launched, we launched like a new feature for agencies. I thought, all right, this is it. Like our, our sales file is going to double. Like who can't, who could exist without this feature? Um, and, and I would do homework. Like I'd validate the need for it. And then we'd roll it out and be like, yeah, it's cool. Um, but then like, and like, yeah, I want that. And, but then like people wouldn't, customers wouldn't necessarily follow through with using it. And so I think that was really surprising to me. It's like, I actually, we actually did a really lot of work, like surveying, asking questions, interviewing, feeding that back, sharing mockups. Like it was almost a, as transparent as possible, I think for a product team. Um, and, and always it was disappointing a little bit when, we'd roll something out and, um, and, and we did, if we'd even iterate on things like to make sure like after we rolled stuff out and it just wasn't, it didn't get the adoption that I thought at least the level of it. Um, so one example is I think, you know, like we have a, a tool called client performance screen in every agency account. So as soon as they connect all their different clients and the data sources for those clients, they can create this, um, uh, basically a grid where they can pick five metrics along the column on the top and then automatically those metrics come in for each client 
And everybody we talked to about that and shared it with, they're like, this is amazing. You know, agency owners were like, finally, I've been literally one of them said to me, I've been wanting this for 10 years. Um, and I'm not saying we don't have any adoption. It's just like, I thought it was going to be something that people would be clamoring for. Um, and like we went through, yeah, we went through usage data and it's like maybe half of the agencies are using that. And I just thought it was going to be more. So that's, that's one thing. I don't know if that fits your, fits the bucket that you were looking for. No, it, answers the question. It, it answers the question. So it fits the bucket, but it is actually very instructive that, and I, and I see what I'm dealing with my, with my clients. It's like, it's that aspect of, well, well, so-and-so is asking for this. And so if we just give them yeah. to that, then, then we'll be able to make sales. And then they do that. And then, then they ask for the next thing or, or there's something else. It's always, so it, it is that right. balance of, of where do you listen to the customer? Cause you have to do that. But it's, it, it's yeah. kind of the, the mix of empathy with Steve jobs that says if they knew what they wanted, you know, they can't cause it's around right. the corner. You, sometimes you have to yep. do it for them. What, what's yep. work that you yep. didn't expect it. What, what's the thing that you, you, that you did that you did despite your best judgment. You were like, yeah, I don't know why I'm yeah. doing this. I know it's not going to work, but Holy cow. Wow. It, it, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, uh, so recently we were able to increase our, our, our sign up to paid rate from like one to 3.6%, uh, in like a wow. span of, of three, of three months. Uh, and like, I, 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 I didn't think it would happen um, that fast. Uh, we've done a few things. So it's not like we attacked it with just one solution, but the main thing we did is implement better email nurturing. So it was like that simple. That was the main change. Um, that that we did that that had a, a pretty big impact the other thing we did that had a, a much bigger impact i would have implemented this much sooner is we started using drift and intercom a lot more drift uh is basically website chat so when somebody comes to our website and hits a certain page uh we would prompt a, 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 a discussion with them you know we use intercom in the app and so brian our, our sales guy who focuses on agencies um, started using that and that had a huge impact on the number of meetings we booked. He went from like 60 meetings uh, a month to a hundred um, by doing wow. that, uh, just by paying attention to the free users and, and with, when they're in the app and trying to, to spark a dialogue. So I think those two things combined kind of had a much bigger impact on our paid to sign up rate than I thought um, it would. And so the things we're doing next, like we're, we're launching a new, um, uh, app onboarding uh, progress bar. So like they'll be fed what they should do first through 10 and there'll be little badges that they get as they hit milestones. Um, and so we're doing that. Um, and I think that'll further improve the conversion rate. Uh, we also just, we, we did a survey through intercom uh, of our, our users and new users and, and existing customers to um, try to figure out like, what questions are they trying to answer with our product? And we realized that like we're overshooting them. Most of them are just simply trying to figure out how do I measure something I'm doing, not like how do I look at this metric? And so one of the things we are doing now is we, we revealed all of the metrics that um, our system automatically pulls when you connect a data source and we sort them by popularity. So, uh, and then, and then made it really easy for them to just like, drag drag that onto um, a board so that they can quickly um, measure it uh, or you know track it with their data or see it with their data so so we've done a bunch of improvements uh, around that stuff which I think will will further increase it but I didn't expect to get such a bump just from 
chat and email nurturing, right? They were, to me, those, those are the things that were, would be less effective than like changing the product interface and stuff like that, so. What, what are the I things love the idea of the drift in intercom. That's great, actionable thing. Yeah, actually, yeah, John, you guys know John Benini. He's our, our, our yeah. he's in charge of like middle of funnel marketing, product marketing for us. Um, and so it was literally him in there. Like, doesn't have a whole lot of sales DNA, but but is a curious guy. And so it was him in there, and he just he had like hundreds of chats with people, and then he kind of categorized the the questions we, he was getting from people uh, into buckets and that's kind of informed both our product and our content strategy going forward. Interesting. What are the, what are the things that are on top of your mind right now? What, what's keeping you up at night? Keeping me up at night. Um, I, I need to hire somebody like I think on the customer success side at, at, at a, a, I don't know what their title exactly will be, but kind of at a director level. Um, as as we've grown, we're 19 people now. Um, seven of those people are are report to me, and it's very flat. So I got you know a salesperson, two marketers. I got two kind of BDRs, um, uh, one on agency support. Um, we have a few people on, on customer support, which don't report to me. But um, so I'm I'm cut. We're very flat right now. There's like three or four people that everybody reports to. And I want to keep it that way, but I, I think I need some somebody to come in to help with customer success and and really figure out how to uh, build process around that. So that's uh, that's my next hire, I believe. Pete, tell everyone how they can uh, follow you, learn about uh, DataBox. Uh, preferences to go to databox.com and sign up, uh, free sign up, free version. You, you can skip all the conversation and just uh, see how the product works. Uh, He's not that interesting. You got to converse with. I'll vouch for that. Consolidated view of data, of your performance data. Um, yeah, I'm on Twitter though, as you pointed out. I, I share a lot on Twitter. So, PC the number four media, M-E-D-I-A. That's my handle. Uh, I am on LinkedIn, but I don't. Um, I don't pay attention to my inbox very well over there. Um, I would disagree oh, with so, you there, Pete. That's how I actually met you. What is you it think? through LinkedIn? Must have been. A, must have caught me on a day when I was looking. I, I did. <laughs> you were so you complimentary, so and customized in your approach that yeah. I'm like, oh, I got to respond to this guy. He put a lot of effort into it. <laughs> yeah, you graciously responded. I was like, wow, holy shit, he responded. And we started. Well, dialogue. as you, as you know, it's like ninety percent people pitching you something on their first yeah. date. So. Uh, I tend to get tired of that. The, the, I wasn't like, pitching you. No, you were complimenting me. So I do skim through once in a while and look for actual <laughs> genuine messages from people. <laughs> well, Pete, awesome. Um, again, what you guys are doing at Databox on two fronts, first and foremost, product is just, it kicks ass. I mean, I've used other tools like Tableau, other things to visualize data, track performance. And Databox has just been really transformative for our business in tracking things in a very, very, very simplistic way, also with the flexibility of customizing it. Um, but also, you know, equally important is kind of the, the way you guys are educating the market. I, every month I write a newsletter um, that goes out and at, at least one of the articles is from Databox mm -hmm. um, because you guys are just, it's kind of my... 
it, it's, it's my go-to blog. Um, you guys are producing awesome content. John is kicking ass with the ground up podcast. Listen to that every month. Yeah, I love that. Um, you know, the Rand Fishkin, um, interview was just absolutely amazing. So again, hats off to you guys. Keep doing what you're doing. Really appreciate you making you. some time. Um, Doug, uh, off to you. This was fun. Thank Thanks you, for joining Pete. Feeling um, mutual. It is, it is fun you. as always, sir. Fun as always. Um, you notice we'll, we'll, I, I saved a discussion around sales compensation and, and quota tracking for, uh, for another day. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think, I think there's like three, three or four unfinished debates we have on Twitter right now. I usually get to the point where I I'm thinking to myself, I shouldn't be spending my time debating with Doug on something that's not material to data box right now. And that's when I give up. Um, Cause you're always right. And you always have more, you always have more research behind you. So I know I'm not going to win easily. So I usually give up. So just know that I'm going to give you that crown. Thank you, sir. Thank so you. Even we though will... we didn't really fight over anything today, I'm going to crown you the winner. There we go. Yeah, so if you really want to see the real throwdown, just tune in to uh, PC4 yeah. Media or Doug yeah. David up on Twitter, and it's bound to emerge. Yeah. Thanks, exactly. Pete. We'll talk soon, buddy. Thank you, guys. It was fun. Hey, hey Pete, th thank you. Yeah, um, yeah that was fun. Couple, I mean, hugely actionable. I think uh, <clears throat> your point of where you want to grow data or, you know, kind of the four pillars of where your next stages of growth with regards to next hirings, et cetera. Yeah. I learned a lot. So hopefully the, okay. the people that, that listen learn as well. So this was, this was great. Loved it. Cool. Yeah. I've been getting, I've been doing these, five, I did one with McTighe the other day and like each one I do, I just share more. Um, and I don't I, like I, if Clifolio is listening, I'm probably in trouble because they're probably uh, they have more resources than I do. But um, I usually find that people um, appreciate the the openness and that kind of brings people to our cause. So, well, yeah, yeah so keep doing it, I guess. And all that good stuff. And, and and I'll say this, Pete. I think I think it's the number one thing that attracts and, and why you built such a good following. Um, and I, I mean, I Thanks, said it on, on the podcast, yeah. which is just, you know, from the day I met you, I mean, no secret, you and I, we agree on most, we yeah. disagree on a lot of stuff, but you've never yeah, been totally, anything but totally. authentic, you, you know, yeah. and, and that's. Yeah, we, I think we agree on most. It's usually just yeah. for, uh, the way we get there, a little different, but um, yeah, I agree. So.